0: Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Well, One of the most popular shows on television over the last uh, 11 years or so has been a show called The Walking Dead. I don't know if there's any fans of that show but it's actually the most popular show in the demographic of 18 to 49 and if you know anything about the show it's about a zombie apocalypse right but the show is actually not really about the zombie apocalypse uh, it's a it's a political science show that stuff's just in the background the show is about How do we build a society? How do we establish authority? What are the expectations for members of a community? And how can we have safety? How can we uh, protect? And really what are the dangers? Now in a show like The Walking Dead, those dangers are very obvious. I think the show is so popular because those questions are still very pertinent. Our country is almost 250 years old, and yet we're still wrestling with how to do those things, with those same questions. And so do we stick with the ideas and principles our founding fathers laid out? That's a question. I want you to think of it though, more this morning with the history of the church. The church, now 2,000 years into its history, many are still asking those same questions, wrestling with those same questions. Now here's the comforting thing for us, is that our founding fathers are not really the Apostle Paul and Timothy who we have in this letter, but our founding father is the triune god of all creation who spoke those words who spoke his creation into existence and so as we we just proclaimed at the end of this reading the word of our god will stand forever and so i want us to ponder this morning uh this question of how do we shape the community that is the church. What is it supposed to look like? And that is the context of the book of 1 Timothy. And we're going to be going through this book for the next several weeks. And the questions uh, that Paul is seeking to answer is how do we establish authority? How do we train new leaders? What are the dangers for the church? How does the church be protected? And how will we flourish? What are the community expectations? So, we're going to go through all of those. And this book uh, is written by the Apostle Paul, and he writes it to Timothy and the church at Ephesus. And so, uh, 1 Timothy could really be called Ephesians 2. It's a continuation of the work that Paul's already started in Ephesians with the Ephesians, the church of Ephesus. And so now Paul is no longer there, and so he's writing to Timothy and that church to encourage them and to answer some of these important questions. So, how does he start? Well, what Paul starts with in answering these questions is what is true. Let's take a look at the first couple verses once again. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God and our savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, so Paul begins this letter laying out his own authority. He says that he is an apostle. And what that means is he is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus and directly called by Jesus himself. And so he says, My authority is I'm writing to you, it's not my own authority. It's not coming to you and saying, hey, I've got a lot of training here, read a lot of books. He doesn't start there. He doesn't start with, hey, um, there's a bunch of other guys, a bunch of other leaders, and they have really placed this authority over me. He doesn't even say, hey, the church has put me in this position, so I'm authority by these things. What he starts with is this, that his authority comes from God himself. That his authority, his apostleship, is a command of God. Now, if you remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was an enemy of the church. He was having Christians killed. He was having them drug out of their homes and in prison. But he met Jesus. As he was on the road to Damascus, he encountered the living Christ and was given this command. And so what Paul is doing is saying, let me start with my authority. It's not my authority. It's God's authority. That is why I have any right to speak here, because God has commanded it. And then he moves on so to establish now Timothy. So Timothy is a leader now that I am placing in the local church and so paul is kind of this father figure to timothy timothy is like a spiritual son he is a son of faith now one of the things that uh, that i love in in our tradition is when we have our presbytery meetings and that's the the meetings of all the pastors and elders in our region uh, when we come together everyone refers to each other as fathers and brothers, right? That there is this spiritual connection. And the older men are like the fathers to us, giving us wisdom. And, and our, our peers are our brothers. And so we say, dear fathers and brothers, and you know, make whatever presentations we have. And so this is kind of out of what we see here in 1 Timothy, this relationship uh, with God's people. that There's a spiritual uh, father who is Paul. And Timothy is like a son to him, like a spiritual son. And he calls him my true child in the faith. And so as this church is trying to figure out what to do, they need some instruction. They need some help. So this actually is all happening in uh, mid-60s AD. So first century, mid-60s. So Jesus has been gone Uh, resurrected, ascended for about 30 years or so. And this is all new, right? So there's not this established, you know, hundreds of years of training and church leaders. And uh, they're trying to figure it out. Okay, what do we do when we meet together? What is this supposed to look like? Um, What structures need to be in place? All these like political science questions of a, of a community. How do we actually function together? And so Paul is really establishing Timothy now as a leader, you know, because anybody walks forward and starts talking and you might get questions. Well, who made you authority, right? What, what gives you the right to tell us what to do? And Paul is saying, I, an apostle, am establishing this leader. So I want you on my authority, which has been commanded by God. I want you to now listen to Timothy and follow his leadership. And so as Timothy is leading, Paul begins with him and he tells you, here's what you must rely on as you lead God's people. It is not your strength. It is not your experience. It is this. He tells him to rely on God's grace, God's mercy, and God's peace. What a comfort that is. If you are going to lead anyone, if you are going to just even function in this this new community, you will be absolutely dependent on the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the peace of God. In other words, you can't do this on your own. You are in need of God's grace, mercy, and peace. And so he calls him, Timothy, you are my true child in the faith. And so what we see in Timothy is as his uh, leadership is being established, is this faith that is true. What is the number one qualification for leadership? It is that, it is true faith. Now, years ago, I worked at a church that had a history of ordaining elders that were good businessmen in the community. So the pastor said, we need those kinds of leaders. Let's bring them in the church. And someone said, but they're not Christians. That's okay. We'll get them there. They're good leaders. And that church had decades and decades of problems following that decision, which included the suicide of one of its its pastors at a point. Uh, It included several people in moral failures and firings, and it was horrible because they didn't look to leadership with that first qualification, that there must be true faith. And so true faith is this, it is what one believes about Jesus. And it is also what one believes about themselves in relationship to Jesus. That is what true faith is rooted in. And then true faith is evidenced by God's transforming love and grace in their lives. And that's what Paul sees in Timothy. He sees a true faith. So this true faith is one that has been demonstrated over time. If we read through the book of Acts, we see that Timothy has been on Paul's team, his missionary team. He's gone on journeys with Paul. He's demonstrated faithfulness, sacrifice, and he's seen transformation. And so in Timothy, there's this inward call with his leadership, I think, Uh, God is calling me to do this, but it is combined with an outward call by this older father in the faith. So he calls him a child of true faith. So that's qualification number one. And then he says you must follow true doctrine. Let's take a look at verses three and four of chapter one. Paul says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So what we have going on in Ephesus at this time is... False doctrine is being taught. It was a problem then. It's still a problem today. Now, here's the thing about false doctrine, and it's the scary thing, is that it is often taught in ignorance. People don't even realize that they're teaching false doctrine because they're teaching in ways that are not rooted in the scriptures in the authority of the scriptures and that is why it's so important uh, so important to train and to disciple God's people and God's leaders so that we don't fall into false doctrine now what is the false doctrine that's being preached there we don't have a specific example we're told that it's happening We're given these little details that they're talking about myths, about speculations. And again, we still see these things in recent times. We see that uh, uh, there are teaching of Bible codes. Oh, if you hit every 50th letter, then you'll find this special message, the special code. There are no special codes. There are no myths, genealogies like this in the scriptures. No hidden messages, right? The other thing that we must be concerned with, with false doctrine, which we still must battle for today, is the essentials of our faith, of who God is, that God is triune, that God is Father, Son, Spirit, three persons in one God. And that is still challenged today. We still have groups teaching, no, Jesus isn't God, he's he's not deity, the Holy Spirit's not a person, right? So even 2,000 years later, we're still having these these same dangers that we must protect against. So then uh, Paul goes on to the next couple verses, and he addresses how the law is being used. So verses eight and nine, he says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. So here it is. The law is good if you use it lawfully. What on earth does that mean? though? Right. And so what Paul's getting at, he's trying to move towards some clarity. And so what he's saying is, here's a bad use of the law, is that you don't earn anything by it. By following the law, you don't earn your stock of good points. It's good use is this, that it's laid down for the disobedience. What does that mean? That means the penalty, right? So if, uh, if I come home and uh, my wife says, all right, it's time to lay down the law with the children. What does that mean? It means, okay, there's going to have to be some consequences. There's going to have to be some penalty. And so that is what Paul is talking about, that a good use of the law is knowing that it is for the disobedient. Think about it this way. Uh, traffic laws, right? So if the If the traffic laws are laid down by those who break it or reject it, um, then it means that there's going to be felonies. There's going to be tickets, right? So when it comes to traffic laws, I don't get good points from the state for not speeding, right? No one sends me a check and says, you did so good. Thanks for not rolling through that stop sign. Thanks for keeping it under 60. We don't get good points for following the law. The laying down of the law is for those who are rejecting it. And the same thing is true with God's law. And so what Paul is saying is that it's enforced by those who reject it. And Paul then gives a list of those who reject God's law. Let's listen to verses 9 and 10. The laws for the unholy and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers. It's for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, for enslavers, for liars, for perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, I want to throw this out. I, I wonder if there are things on that list that hit your ears hard. And I want to say this, that there are many things in this world that I crave that are not good for me. And so a true faith believes that God is for my good. So if he tells me that I must abstain from the things that I crave, then I have to trust him. Now to some, that may seem cruel. Because our culture has told us, you can never find true happiness, true contentment, unless you have these things, right? But the Bible is telling us something very different. This doesn't mean that abstaining from those things is not extremely difficult, but it means this, that God is promising there's something better. There's something better for you, and I want you to trust me. I want you to trust that I am for your good. I want to throw this out. If there is anything on that list that hits your ears hard, I would love to to meet with you one-on-one and wrestle through it with you. So that's a standing invitation. So after Paul gives this this list, this list of people of whom the law is laid down for, he tells us the good news of Jesus and it's this that Jesus came, that Jesus came to save them from the penalty of the law. And the Apostle Paul says this, you know who that includes? Me. Right, so I just read you this list of people, and guess what? That includes me as well. Let's listen to verse 13. He says, formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. So he is no longer under the penalty of the law because of those former things, but he doesn't stop with what is former. Listen to verse 15. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He doesn't say, of who I was the foremost, he says, who I am the foremost. And so God's mercy extends to what he has done in the past and it extends to the present. Because here's the thing. Dying to the penalty of sin takes but a moment. A moment to put your trust in the life of Jesus, in the mercy of Jesus to save you. So dying to the penalty of sin takes a moment, but dying to the habits of Of sin takes a lifetime and when we acknowledge that it should then move us in love towards one another and that's Paul's next point for Timothy that this must all be rooted in true love and he shows us the true love of Jesus toward us listen to verse 16 Paul says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying this, look how patient Jesus has been with me. So if there is hope for me, If there is mercy for me, a guy who murdered Christians, who threw them in prison, who was an opponent of Jesus, if there's hope for me, if there is mercy for me, then there is for you too, if you believe in Jesus for eternal life. And if you have experienced that patient gracious, merciful love of Jesus, then it will dynamically transform you. It will empower you to extend that love toward others. We go back to verse verse five. That's exactly what we see. Paul says this, the aim of our charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so the aim of our charge is to be love. Love that comes out of the heart of Christ, which is what? It is to save sinners from the penalty of the law. Just like he's done with me. Just like he's done with Paul. And just like he's done with all who put their faith in Jesus. And that love is love that comes out of his desire to come under God's authority in every sphere of our lives. Especially where it's difficult. And even where you don't yet understand why. It's to put that trust to say, I know God is for my good. He has promised that he is for my good. And so I'm going to come under his authority, even where I do not yet understand. This is a love that comes from a sincere faith. A faith like Paul has seen in Timothy, that has grown, that has matured, and that has persevered. And so, what does that mean for us? What are we to do? Let me give you the last uh, couple verses here Uh, last part of 18 and first part of 19. Paul says, Wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. So he's saying, Okay, this means fight the good fight. What's the good fight? It's joining jesus in his work to save souls to save people from the penalty of the law and so we as the community of god the church we are to then hold to what is true it means we don't preach doctrine outside of what we have in the scriptures and we're to actually protect against any false doctrine we also fight the good fight uh, the good fight, by living out our faith in good conscience. It means that we have to have a posture that says, we say with Paul that Jesus came to save sinners just like me. And we hold these things together in love. Now here's what is possible. It is possible that we can Declare the truths of Scripture, but do it in such a cold way. Only caring about what is true, but not caring anything of how that truth is delivered. And friends, that is not loving. That is not grounded in love. That is not a charge of love. On the other side, we can be so concerned... That people feel loved. That we never say anything difficult or challenging. To say, "Well, I, I love you, so I don't want to, I don't want to hurt your feelings." If there's truths here, I, I'm, I'm going to avoid those, so that you feel comfortable. To withhold truth is unloving. And so we must hold these things together, a good conscience, charged in love, proclaiming truth, but doing it in a way that says, Jesus saves sinners like me, just like me. Then we have this warning to close the chapter, that if we don't fight this good fight, if we don't hold to a, a true faith, And with a good conscience, out of love, Paul says that our faith will be shipwrecked. Verse 19, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And so if we fail to fight the good fight as we've described, our faith can become a wreckage. We won't function as the community that God has designed it to be will lack love or conviction or ultimately both. And that is what happened to the last two guys that Paul mentions in this chapter. Hymenaeus and Alexander. He says that because their faith was shipwrecked, that they rejected these things, that they were handed over to Satan. And what he means by that is that they were... Removed from the community of God. They were removed from the protection of God. Why? So that they would discover their need and come back. That is Paul's hope. And so, friends, as we continue through this series in the weeks to come, we're going to continue to look at how community, God's community, is supposed to function, is designed to function. But today, it starts here with this, with the true gospel, with true faith, saying that we are sinners, saved by the grace of Jesus, and that we live it out, that it's not just words, it's not just an intellectual assent, but it is a life lived out, a life of love. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this word today. There are words of challenge in here. There are words that can be very difficult to understand. But Lord, where it is difficult, help us to trust. Help us to see your saving work in this story and know that you are for our good. Lord, would you be at work in us as a community, that we would be a community of truth and a community of love that holds those together with a, a true faith, as true children of God on your mission to save sinners. And so Lord, be at work in us and through us. We ask it in the name of Jesus and in the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.